It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following is a broadcast from the Global Authority in Mixed Martial Arts. The Shoe Dog Radio Network. Once again, Jordan Breen Show, your boy, Fade, from Philly, with my man Otis Smith. Laying down the track, I'm the champ, your amateur like C-Class Shoe Dog. It's the Jordan Breen Show, 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 the MMA radio show here on the Sherdog sure Radio Network that may have had 115-113 Manny Pacquiao, but isn't a damn bit mad about how things proceeded. Thanks to all listeners and wonderful, thoughtful words after last week's show as well. I'm your eponymous host, Jordan Breen. With me, at least momentarily, the 117-111 Jeff Horn scorecard to my judge, Waleska Roldan. It's TJ DeSantis. TJ, did you catch any Manny Pacquiao and Jeff Horn this weekend on ESPN? I saw Pacquiao fight Chris Algieri once. <laughs> so, as a man... Who... Oh, wait, hang on, hang on. Horn! Thank you. <laughs> as a man who is... Um, I, like, you actually you actually uh, quote-tweeted this, like, last night, so it's, like, super timely. I, I, I previously made the comment, last time you did Press Row, which dovetails in a different way, which we'll get to in a second, uh, I made the comment that you probably love the idea of MMA commentary and the, the X's and O's mechanics of it more than maybe MMA itself. As a dude that loves commentary, that loves to see how a booth, how a, uh, a, a commentary desk above the, the, the ring or cage is put together. As a man that is interested in all forms of broadcast journalism in that way, oh boy, was ESPN's broadcast of Pacquiao Horn an absolute tour de force. Yeah, and I'm just so happy to learn that we don't have controversial decisions in mixed martial arts. 
Dude. <laughs> Anthony Walker it, here, by the way. Ant Walker behind the ones and twos for the rest of the day. TJ's off to do big willy shit. He's the king of fight pass. He's obviously too important for us. However, I should say off the bat as a matter of house cleaning, my apologies for uh, the late start today. We're getting started uh, 10, 15 minutes late because uh, TJ Sands and I just cranked out press row for you all today on Horn. Kind of like a, yeah, I mean, Jeremy Horn in a roundabout <laughs> way. A lot, a, a surprising, a surprising amount about Jeremy Horn and a hypothetical UFC return to Salt Lake City, but really a discussion about how a lot of the uh, the UFC's traditional structure, things we've come to rely on, things like, say, International Fight Week and the idea of a grandiose Independence Day weekend card has decayed and changed under the late Zufa tenure and into the WME one. Also as a matter of housekeeping for reasons that uh i mean we just want to have good srn content every day not overlap so as a uh, another matter of housekeeping press row segments coming to the sure.com blog and sure.com on thursdays going forward i will i will have to change the blurb that every week opens with every wednesday jordan breen welcomes a member of the mma media to press row oh wait feel, does the imaging I, say wednesdays in the sure.com no. blog does it at the end we're not moving it. F that. We're not moving it. No, I'm kidding. I'll have to fix the, it. The one, the one at the beginning is good, but I didn't think about the one at the end. You just reminded me of it now. I thought I had this thought, and I thought, no, the uh, uh, great voice Eric at the very beginning, old voice guy, he at the beginning says, grab your credential. It's time to go inside press row with Jordan Breen. But the question is, when he says, you know, you know stamp, shout, stamp on somebody's laptop, does he say every Wednesday at the end? I, I think so. I think it says, like, every Wednesday on the SureDog.com blog. Well, I mean, in honesty, if – and maybe it'll be Wednesday somewhere. If we post it if we post it Thursdays at, like, 1 a.m. Eastern time, it's, it's still Wednesday in like Hawaii, Los Angeles – We'll, we'll figure out a way around this. I mean, if it counts. Elbow, punch, kick, step on somebody's laptop. Whatever you have to do to get a seat in press row. Wednesdays on the SureDog.com blog. <laughs> hey, if it, if it counts, I, I listened to the last press row yesterday, so I was a week late. Hey, can, can, can I tell you? Because, again, this is, this is me caring too much about production. My fa- There's my, no such thing as caring too much about production. My favorite part of the outro of the sure.com blog uh, feature called Press Row. It says every Wednesday inside the sure.com blog. Have you ever heard the Easter egg where voice guy says sure blog? <laughs> no. Listen hard, please. Nudge, elbow, punch, kick, step on somebody's laptop. Whatever you have to do to get a seat in Press Row. Wednesdays on the sure.com blog. Sure blog. <laughs> sure blog. <laughs> This is, this is my segment, and I've never noticed the actual Sherblog voice piece at the end. That's Easter like the, eggs for y'all. This is the equivalent of Shook Shot Me on uh, the Machiavelli album. <laughs> <laughs> what, what y'all don't know is what happens if you play the bumpers for Press Row backwards. Ooh, spooky shit. Hey, when uh, I said the Shook Shot Me thing, TJ looked at me like I, I dropped from outer <laughs> space. He has he probably, you know the, what the Machiavelli album is, TJ? To live and die in Oh, LA. okay. Oh, oh and, right. and genuine reaction. Oh, that was so good. This this is why we play the game. This is why we play the game. Hey, hey, Jordan. I, 
Real um, quick, real quick. I'm still pushing the push broom. Real quick. A AJBS, unlike any other, apart from the fact that we started late, 844 Sherdog's the number, 844-743-7364. That's 844-743-7364. Get at me via email, jbreen at sherdog.com, or on Twitter, at Jordan Breen, J-O-R-D-A-N-B-R-E-E-N. And please continue. Yeah, I mean, I, I just had to chime in about the commentary on the Pacquiao-Horn fight. It was atrocious, to say the least. Like, I normally like Teddy Atlas uh, behind the desk as an analyst or or when he's just talking pure technique. I really enjoy that. But him him on that booth uh, the other day was, was atrocious. That, that was terrible. Uh, every time Tim Bradley wanted to say something that was complimentary of what Horn was doing, he would get shut down so fast, and he just kind of got – he got silenced, like, really Tim fast. Tim Bradley man. was also terrible. Tim Bradley, <laughs> no, one, no one on this broadcast deserves any quarter. Joe Tessitore may be the only person who did not roundly embarrass himself, although I would not describe him as having great performance. Tim Bradley, by the end of the night, was letting himself, this man, whether or not he needed a robbery to be packed, in the first place like a real a real robbery the jeff horn thing people have obsessed about the 117 111 valeska rodan scorecard which is bullshit it's a terrible scorecard but um i i had the fight 115 113 pacquiao when i saw the sheer amount of people that had 114 114 draws i wasn't shook in any way and i don't really begrudge like i don't agree but i mean there's <laughs> Chris Horn or like, like Jeff Horn got in this fight because he was able to go forward and basically headbutt Manny Pacquiao and just constantly thwart him by being big and fighting like a brute. Manny Pacquiao is not shot in any way, but certainly a shell of the legendary fighter, but albeit, as we discussed last week, complete monstrous, inhumane ghoul that he is or was. But holy shit. To hear these people discuss it, Tim Bradley, this actual boxer who, again, maybe needed a real robbery to beat Manny Pacquiao, but at the end of the day was still a great prize fighter. Tim Bradley is there letting himself get yelled at by Stephen A. Smith (laughs) and get dressed down like he doesn't know the first thing about boxing. And... Did you hear the part where Stephen A. Smith described his scorecard? Yeah, Stephen A. Smith, man, somebody should just take his vocal cords. Like, I, I don't want to hear him ever talk about people hitting one another. If he plays, if he's talking about basketball, please, I, I'm, I'm there for it. But if you're talking about combat sports, just shut up, man. Stephen A. Smith knows nothing about combat sports at all. Okay, so let me he ask. Knows, let, let he me, knows that. Hang on, Stephen yeah. A. Smith knows one thing. It's, it's forgiveness for Floyd Mayweather for hitting women. That's that's what Stephen A. Smith knows. <laughs> but so, seriously, Stephen A. Smith, seriously, the way he described his scorecard, I believe he said he had it 117, or no, he said he had it like 8-4 on rounds, which would be 116-111, but I think he said his scorecard was 116-111 or something because he gave Pacquiao two points. It's like, that is not how... it's, Dude, it's not an 11-9 round. It's a 10-8 round. Do you not get how any of this math works? <laughs> Holy shit. Have you ever even seen a prize fight? This is bananas. And then the hot takery of... This, this is why MMA's on the rise. Holy shit. You, you know what? You know what the sad part of what I'm about to say is? I'm going to say, I'm going to say that it's 2010 that we gave Sure.com's story of the year to, holy shit, MMA judging sucks. 
which may or may not have been the subtitle of the article. But the reason I'm uncertain is because MMA judging sucks so bad. Every year we have this sport, it is so poor that I'm not even sure what year we gave it to it. I know it's the year of Garcia, Leonard Garcia, Nam Fan. TJ, is that 2010? Sounds about right. Yeah, that's 2010. Sure Dog Story of the Year 2010. I Hopefully mean, I, I was right on this. I could ask Nick uh, Diaz, but he doesn't know what the fuck year it is, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a really good stitchback reference. I'll just look up. I'll just look. Okay, here we go. 2010 Sure Dog Awards, the complete list. Uh, scrolling down. While, while you do this, can I just say the, the reason uh, I I don't know Stephen A. Smith anything uh, or for anything other than hot takes, which seems to be the key of being a television sports personality. So you said Ant about basketball. Is he is he an actual basketball like expert or is he just good at? Because, like, to me, Stephen A. Smith sits across the table from Skip Bayless on that old show that used to be called Cold Pizza. That's yeah. it. Ant, yeah. you, now it's you, Max you go first on this. I have, I, have a, I have, like, a very distinct thought on this. Ant, go first. Well, I'll, I'll say that I think he definitely knows basketball. Um, but that being said, I know combat sports a lot more than I know basketball. So maybe maybe to, like, a hardcore basketball person that knows all the ins and outs, maybe he sounds like a total jackass. But for me, listening to him about fights, he sounds like a total jackass. And maybe that's just because I know fights. Unfortunately, I, I think he's going to deceive a lot of people. Who, who listen to him uh, about combat sports. I'm just this. It, it was a, a stark reminder of why I'm going to avoid FS1 and ESPN like the plague leading up to Mayweather McGregor. I would like to offer on this that I, I, I think Stephen A. Smith knows basketball. He certainly watches a lot of basketball. I think Stephen A. Smith. Here's the difference. Stephen A. Smith is a different kind of blowhard than Skip Bayless is. Because although, like, the famous, like, the big takeout feature, I think the New York Times did it, that wrote all about how Skip Bayless gets up at 5 a.m. every morning to write out his hot takes and eats, like, the same lunch every day for the last 20 years and is just, like, like incredibly fastidious, dedicated human being. In spite of that, he still is clearly a willful contrarian. There's no two ways about it. Stephen A. Smith mostly just has dog shit takes. He believes a lot of terrible, awful things, and it comes out when you see him talk about Floyd Mayweather. Like, again, I don't want to turn this into some kind of social justice podcast. It's not, it's not my jam, and I'm not the guy. But woman hitting is wrong, and Stephen A. Smith's general discussions about the Mayweather clan leads you to believe that he's totally cool with this for the most part. However, Stephen A. Smith, TJ, to your, to your question— when he nails it, especially on NBA stuff, he nails it. His his meltdown recently talking about Phil Jackson and his tenure at the Knicks, his first move as GM was to sign Lamar Odom, who was on crack. <laughs> and Max Kellerman just looks co- a combination of like horrified and amused and has to play it off like he's not about to die on cable TV. His famous his famous blow up when the Lakers just ripped the entire NBA off and got Pau Gasol for Kwame Brown, basically. Another epic rant. Like, when he nails it, his brand of blowhardism knocks it out of the park. The problem is, he's not a very bright dude and ultimately just comes across as a blustery asshole 
who's entirely given to the whims of like who his favorite athletes are. Like he's an incredibly childish dude, but at the same time, his personality and borderline insanity when he does have a good take, my God, like he's a, he's a dude that may strike out. He may, he may be hitting like 158 at the plate, but my God, when this guy crushes it, it is upper deck 600 feet. It, it becomes, it becomes, I've laughed harder at Stephen, Stephen A. Smith's best takes are 10 times funnier than any of his bad takes. Cause yeah. they hit you in a place that's both like real and he's such an over the top bullshit asshole about it that it breaks you as a person. And like, that's like, there's like in those moments, you understand why someone like Jamie Horowitz, apart from apparently being a predatory sex offender is like would be taken with the embrace debate era. You know, you get why someone would want to do it when these guys do have a good take and make it explosive. You know, think about something like famously, how funny is mad dogs rant about the Florida Marlins second world series. TJ, you're a baseball guy. Surely you've heard this. Sorry. I was thinking about audio algebra right now. What? <laughs> Mike, Mike, Mike in the Mike in the mad dog, the mm. famous rant where mad dog Chris Russo goes off about the Marlins winning a second world series. Cause the Cubs have never won. Or the, excuse me. His giants haven't won shit at that point. Mm-hmm. It's right after the second Marlins. And like, even though they're on serious, he's yelling G whiz and stuff like that, but then starts swearing on top of it. Cause he's just, he's in shambles as someone who loves sports. Yeah. And he's right. The Marlins are a shitty franchise. Fortunately, you know, th- fortunes have been changed now. The Giants have won three World Series since he had this insane rant. But in the moment, this is why people have sports talk radio. This is why you have people who have, this is why you have people like me. Why do people listen to radio? Do you know? Do, 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 like, do you know the main reason people listen to any sort of commentary on the radio? Because we're too for- ugly for TV. <laughs> no, no, why, no do why, does, why does people listen? Why do people listen though? Yeah. That's that's why we're here. Why are the listeners here? Before we go to the phones, TJ, drop us with a piece of uh radio philosophy here. Why why is anyone listening to me do this? Why have been people been listening to me do it for ten years? Because they want to feel something. And more often than not, they want to feel an opinion that is different than yours, and they generally either say to themselves that you're wrong and you're an idiot, or they pick up the phone. And they call you and say, you're wrong, you're an idiot, or they want to make you think different. That's why people well, listen. That's why conservative talk radio is as, uh, is as successful uh, as it is. Well, conservative talk radio is also the thing that gave birth to sports talk radio. It's the, would define the talk radio genre and taught people that it was uh, doable. So hot take me to death, y'all. We got tons of fights this weekend. 844-SURE-DOG, 844-743-7364. They're Email putting me, Avery. stuff in the water that are making <laughs> frogs gay. <laughs> TJ, did you really not even attempt to do a voice or an Alex Jones cadence? Hang on one sec. I'm going to, I'm literally about to take my shirt off right now. One sec. I can't, I can't do it over my headphones. So one sec. <laughs> Oh man! I would also I would also say that that I've I've lost a significant amount of weight recently in the last five months of eating fully vegan. But as a furry dude, I've started to have the Alex Jones body, but just like in smaller form. Like my <laughs> my shoulders are like disproportionately wide, but I still kind of have like a fat dude body. Hey, but can, like can, I'm not actually fat, so I've basically turned into a smaller Alex Jones. Anyway, can can we call this <laughs> can we call this vegan Pizzagate? 
It's in the water. It's in the rain. It's turning the frogs gay. Are we going to talk about that sex colony on Mars? Oh God, he is. It's it's sad. Alex Jones has actually fell off. You know what's he, like? He's he's passed the torch to what's that asshole prison planet? Paul Joseph Watson, that that freakish new romantic looking paleocon scaredy cat loser. <laughs> Uh, okay, we can't go too deep on Infowars here. I actually, I actually do. We, DJ, as you said, we actually have a spot, so I actually do want to get her call. So, hot take me to death. Eight four four sure dog. Eight four four seven four three seven three six four. Line one. It's Rob from North Carolina. Rob, what's up? He may have hung up. I think he's still here. This might be somebody else entirely. I don't know. We went too far. Who's this? Hello? Who is it? Hello. I said hello. Hey, DJ, Rob, North Carolina. There it is, Rob. Sorry. Yeah, see? He's still here. We did it. He's, he's, I doubted myself. See what happens we, when I do that? You did it. We did it, Mama. <laughs> we back. All right, Rob, what's on your mind, baby? <laughs> All I heard was DJ was like, or they call you to tell you, then beep, beep, and I lost it. What did DJ say? Uh, Say that again? TJ uh, uh, was going out saying, like, they either call radio, they either listen to hear a, a different opinion or they call you to tell you that you're. Oh, TJ, we were. Yeah, he was. He, yeah, he's basically just pointing out that people want to be polarized by talk radio, and and pointed out like conservative talk radio as the blueprint. And I pointed out that it's basically what gave gave rise to like the the format we have for sports talk radio now. The embrace, like like don't kid yourself. Don't think. Don't think the world is this like atomized. I should actually put my shirt back on. I am in my backyard. I'm in. I'm in that for. For what we're going to call in honor of Bjorn Rebney, in honor, in honor of Bjorn Rebney, Bjorn Rebney going to Mexico, presumably forever until he comes back to do some other MMA venture in a few years. Uh, and his vision of Bellator, what we'll call the, the Jordan Breen Show Summer Series, I've, I've decided that every day that's possible, I'm, I'm using my backyard as my office. It's too beautiful not to. So, 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 long, so long as my neighbor tours down HVAC system that is quite loud is not audible through this microphone and no long as uh, there's no like jet shows over downtown Toronto we're out in the backyard right now you know I spent I spent too many days I spent too many days doing cheap seats listening to Greg Savage talk about beautiful weather and being marooned deep in an apartment while this dude got to pull his blinds open and got to enjoy Southern California weather it's the Jordan Breen show summer series we're out here we got fresh air we got we can be joined we can join by any number of things the girl who lives downstairs, she's got a beautiful Persian. She's got a beautiful Persian cat that she very creatively named Persia. Shouts, shouts, Danielle. The girl lives. Downstairs. Shouts, girl. The girl lives downstairs. Danielle. We could, we could have a cat in the mix. Uh, shit, beat down for the bell. If we use, maybe we continue the summer series and a beat down for the bell. Could be joined by some raccoons. There's no telling the possibilities. Yeah. My, my, my insane, barely communicative. Uh, Chinese landlord, Wei, could show up at any point in time. Not Wei Ting. No one make this joke. Wei Ting is a close friend. Shouts to Fight Network. My landlord could show up at any point in time and, and bomb on the radio show. Any number of exciting things could happen. This is like the promise of the late 80s when they got into live TV. Anything could happen on live TV, guys. But especially if you're willing to leave the confines of your house or at least stay on your back porch where you, where you have some nice patio furniture. So wait, are, are there only Asian landlords in Toronto? Uh, no, 
but uh, I could I could see based on how my past discussion would be led to believe that. When I first moved here, however, I had, I had a Turkish landlord, and he had a major league hoarding problem. Was also like the black sheep of his family, which was sad. Because basically his father died and left him to manage the property, and he did such a terrible job that his family basically vetoed him, and they wanted to sell it, which is why I had to move out of the place. So I've had a variety of experiences here in the big smoke. They're not it's, – it's not all Chinese landlords, but uh, my, my landlord is actually a decent landlord. Is just that uh, he has a very uh, – he <laughs> – he has a very Jerry Lee, like he has a very Jerry Lewis vibe in like the Nutty Professor to him. I, I'd, say, okay. I'd say I'd say that's like the big problem, and, 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 and he really doesn't speak like he doesn't really speak fluent English, and there's a very like legitimate Nutty Professor vibe. That's really the problem. Okay, Stephen I think he, he's a douche novel. Let's not you know be on bush, but I think people listen to him because he's like. He's like a charismatic Dominic Cruz. When Dominic Cruz talks and dozens people down, he says it with this, like, Hannibal Lecter cold, hard certainty and precision. So you're like, damn, maybe he's right. Maybe I do suck. But Stephen Smith has that with charisma. So, like, oh, he's got to be right. He's so sure of himself, even though he's spitting out nonsense. Yeah, I mean, delivery is a whole part of the game, and that's I think that's certainly part of... Even if it doesn't work all the time, because clearly he was at his most eviscerating about Cody Garbrandt. You know, if you if you believed in a pro wrestling world, if this was all scripted or or at least if you believed that somehow someone's trash talk was 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 commensurate with how they would perform in a fight. Dominic Cruz would have blown Cody, Cody Garbrandt out of the water. Instead, he was the complete opposite, and he got humiliated kind of with his own style in many capacities. But, yeah, like what, what is chilling about Dominic Cruz is he always comes across like someone because of his flat, monotone affect and really his kind of contemptuous persona for his contemporaries. He kind of seems like he knows like your deepest, darkest secrets or your weaknesses and secret frailties and is all too happy to say them to your face. There's something very real about that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay, uh, shout out to TJ, the uh, the last fan, Chris Benoit. I'm only like halfway through it, but it's been riveting and gut wrenching at the same time. So props to you. I mean, I, I've already recommended uh, part two and part three are like definitely for for diehards. But I sent part one of the Chris Benoit podcast to multiple people I know who are just kind of culture vultures, people who aren't pro wrestling fans or anything like that. And they were like very moved. I like, I had a couple of friends that were like, especially Jack's reading and description specifically of the police going downstairs and finding Benoit's body and kind of the, I believe what, what Irv Mushnick described as, uh, the, the, uh, the masochistic discipline that Chris Benoit had. And his suicide. So, I yeah. mean, again, li- like the over the edge 1999 thing. I mean, if we're being real about this, and I say that this is a man that's about to record a roundtable with him tomorrow night, you know, a, a double wide one for two UFC events this weekend. We don't, we don't, TJ used these words earlier in a text message to me. We don't deserve Jack Carnassio, man. We don't deserve this man. <laughs> it's true. But we, but we get him Friday, right? 
Yeah, I mean, you, you, you're absolutely getting a round table. We, we don't deserve him, but you still get him. That's why, you know, that's, that's what makes the man so fantastic. Seriously, though, what, what, you know, what, the, the uh, one thing... We are not worthy? <laughs> yes, yes, we're not worthy. The, the last thing I want to say on that, and I, and I texted it, um, obviously, just due to the length and also, I would say the severity and weight of the topic matter, it... It took me a, a couple of listens to get through, I mean, all of the thing. It's 11 hours long, but even the first part, especially the first part. Um, and the one part where I, I knew I needed to jump up and, and text Jack is at one part late in the first part of the Benoit pod, he reads a passage, the, I mean, really not just a passage, the passage from Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. Just before, just before uh, Marlowe decides to tell Kurtz's would-be like, would wife and fiancé the or lie about the circumstances uh, of his death and, and how he died. When he recalls him, the, the passage that created Marlon Brando's The Horror. The Horror. The Horror. In Apocalypse Now. That passage. When Jack reads it, I don't know if Jack knew this or not, are you aware of how Joseph Conrad initially pitched Heart of Darkness to various like literary quarterlies and magazines when he was seeking to have it and its like companion pieces published? I do not. The book is actually sitting in my book bag right now. This so Heart of Darkness was you know, I mean it's uh, technically it's a novella it was pu- published in, in in part with is like a part of a three part serial story yeah, Blackwood Yeah Blackwood magazine ended up publishing it and they published it along with, with two other companion pieces as well uh, Youth and Narrative and uh, another that the the name eludes uh, me right now but when when asked to describe what Heart of Darkness was about when he was doing the editorial pitch in the hard sell. This is what Joseph Conrad said. And if you've listened to the pod, if you haven't, if, if you don't, whether you care about pro wrestling or not, think about what I'm about to say and think about the last sentence of this and tell me it's not the pro wrestling industry. So, Joseph Conrad described Heart of Darkness as a wild story of a journalist who becomes a manager of a station in the interior and makes himself worshipped by a tribe of savages. This is the line. Thus described, the subject seems comic, but it isn't. What is pro wrestling if but that? Thus described, the subject seems comic, but it isn't. I mean, this is, I mean, this is, this is like, he cuts to the heart. Like there's a reason that like, even if it wasn't well received in its time, even if you kind of, even though it is a a critique of colonialism on some level, there is still like very, I think, disgusting imperial sentiments in uh, Joseph Conrad's work. You know, there's like, there's no getting around the fact that literary historians agree that this man's greatest work is a novel called The Nigger of Narcissus. 
You cannot escape this with this man. But Heart of Darkness is clearly anti-colonial in its heart. And he knows in telling this story that what I'm describing may sound funny to you because of your sensibilities. But, like, this is actually the horror of what goes on. And that could, like, dude, that's all a life. Like, there's a reason Heart of Darkness, like, it, if you've ever seen Apocalypse Now, you know it's not like Apocalypse Now in, in the richest sense. You know that it's like this liberal, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's liberal reinterpretation. Yeah. But yet, yet th- there's a reason that, like, the fundamental idea still plays. You know? My my dad took me to see Redux in the theater when I was like twelve. Oh, that's heavy. <laughs> <laughs> God, like this. Like, the part that really got me was like, when he was reading the text messages. Wife. I mean, dude. Just, it, and and also, I mean, shouts to shouts to anyone who does on air shit like that and can can deal with that gravity. You know? Yeah, it's, it's like, I lost, in my mid, like, early 20s, I lost a lot of people close to me. Like, it started with my, my mom died about a month after I graduated high school. From 18 to, like, 23, I went to, like, 25 funerals. I once went to funerals back to back when, and when you've had, it's happened to me twice in my life. When someone's been murdered, it's a whole different kind of feeling. It's a very poison, poisonous feeling that kind of encapsulates you. And, like, listening to that podcast, it brought a lot of that back. Anything else in your mind, Rob? Yeah. Megan Anderson saying, you know, she pulls out of the fight. I was like, you know, personally, I respect gravity. But you can't go and run your mouth after the fact saying, oh, I want to start that Olympic concert. You know, I feel like now, shut up. Hey, I think we, uh, I think we just uh, Yeah, I was going to say, Rob, RIP. On that tip, though, uh, this is one thing that Mike Bond and I talked about in the Press Road segment last week with Megan Anderson pulling out and the like is, you know, people are always going to speculate why you pull out of a mixed martial arts fight, period. If you're pulling out, you, you, you don't have to. Full disclosure is never fully necessary. Like, if you're hurt, people will, exce- will accept undisclosed injury. You know, there's a reason why in pro sports, upper body injury, lower body injury, these things are viable. People will accept these things. So it's not as though you need to be fully forthright. At the exact same time, you can't be completely just, oh, I I finally get this fight that I've been, like, I started a grassroots campaign for. Cyborg and I are posing together on Instagram, hoping to line this up. And then all of a sudden, oh, well, I have personal issues. If it's visa issues, say visa issues. Like, this is, you don't, again, you can always hold something back, but if there isn't, like, a kernel of truth or something is kind of too obscured, people are always going to react. 
So we're a, we're a little past the halfway mark here. Number's still the same, 844-SURE-DOG, 844-743-7364. It's 844-743-7364. Tough 25 finale this weekend, UFC 213 this weekend, plus, as we discussed off the top, an absolutely uh, terrible, terrible broadcast for the ages by ESPN with the Manny Pacquiao, Jeff Horn handling whatever's on your mind. 844-SURE-DOG, 844-743-7364. Stay close. More JBS on the other side right here on the SRN. You're listening to the leader in mixed martial arts radio. I'm just sick of all the amateur stuff, you know? I mean, like, I want a little production value, you know, like some editing, transition, something, some music. Sure Dog Radio Network. Looking to maximize your sports betting bankroll? Then sign up with betonline.ag today to claim a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code SureDog, and up to $2,500 worth of sportsbook free plays will be credited to your account instantly. Once you're in on the action, you'll see firsthand why betonline.ag receives an A grade. Bonuses on every qualifying deposit. The earliest opening odds in the industry? State-of-the-art live betting software, the highest parlay and teaser payouts on the planet. Plus, you're getting odds on football, hoops, baseball, MMA, boxing, and just about every other sport. That's just a small sample of what is waiting for you at betonline.ag. And thanks to a large list of banking options, including credit cards and Bitcoin, getting your account set up only takes a few minutes. Most importantly, when it comes to getting paid, your winnings will always be delivered to you on time. Remember to score your 50% bonus. Just use the promo code SureDog. Sign up at betonline.ag today. Because you can. Welcome back to the Sure Dog Radio Network. It's your main man, Anthony Walker, here with Jordan Breen. Uh, just a little housekeeping. We've got uh, Press Row. Should be uploaded in the very near future if it isn't already yet. Not sure if TJ did it yet. Uh, also, the roundtable will be coming up. Uh, we're going to do a, do a double take. We've got the Tough Finale, Tough 25. And also behind that is UFC 213. So stay tuned, folks. Back upside the JBS here on the SRN. I'm Jordan Breen. Get at me on the phone. Number same as always, 844-SURE-DOG, 844-743-7364. It's 844-743-7364. You always email me too, jbreen at suredog.com. Act like it's 1997. Or you can act like it's 2014, 15. Get at me on Twitter, at Jordan Breen, J-O-R-D-N-B-R-E-E-N. Go back up to the phones. Line one. It's Ken from Rochester. Ken, sorry to make you wait. What's up? Hey, what's up? Um, I'm sorry if this is uh, old news, but I, I wanted to get some feedback on this. I just I, listened I, to the I Joe Rogan podcast where he had uh, Josh Barnett on, mm-hmm. and he no less than uh, perceived, I don't even know how or what 
segue led into this. I don't exactly remember, but he kind of proceeds to scorch the earth on his uh, relationship with Colleen Schneider, and I don't know if maybe, as much as I like both of them, I don't know if it's really, if that was the appropriate venue for something like that, and I don't know if any, if any of you have heard it, and if you have, what your general feelings are about it. That's disappointing to hear uh, on on multiple levels. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna judge Josh Barnett on, like on his personal life. The problem is, uh, in this case, like it is something that dovetails with his professional life, because uh, like I, I assume Ken, like the reason you're you're asking is for, you know Josh Barnett and Colleen Schneider were you know Barnett trained Colleen Schneider and is in a relationship with her, which is fine. This is something that exists in in like there's tons of MMA couples that that have this exact same dynamic. You know, I'm not I'm not some kind of prude or some kind of, again, like going back to the idea of like, oh, defend women, dude, a man, a man who trains a woman that that enters into a relationship with her, even even if it's a paying student who like they're teaching jujitsu to or whatever, two people can be mature at mature adults and form a relationship that way. I don't it, it, it is it is not it can be. And it's something you need to be wary of, certainly. And I don't think Josh Brennan falls in this in any way. I don't mean to say that. This is a relationship that can be predatory. We know plenty of cases. And UFC veterans, Hermes Franca, Joao Marcos Perini, people that are legit sex offenders that have used their positions as, in their cases, jiu-jitsu teachers, to, to molest their students. The, the Lloyd Irvin situation, a straight-up sex offender who people still will – people who still have UFC contracts. What's up, James Vick? We see you. People that people like, will still defend to the death. Who is a sex offender and like a terrible person? So, to be clear, you can have you can you can be the trainer, you can be the male trainer of a female fighter, and it, there's nothing hinky about it. A mature adult, mature adults can make their own decisions. That said, you know Josh Barnett had a similarly fracturous relationship in the past with Shannon Hooper, who he trained and, and fought as well, and then they fell apart. So. To you know, Ken, can you give any? Is there anything that like stood out? Because I haven't, I haven't seen the Rogan Barnett piece. Admittedly, um, was there he any? Like, what what, what did he name, say? But he's, okay. They're what did he say about, that he really thought was of all things like Marxism or something like that? And then he says, "Oh yeah, uh, my ex-girlfriend." And he talks about how he had disagreements with her belief system and stuff like that. And he mentioned. He mentioned my name, but he said, my uh, ex-girlfriend who went to Berkeley and who fights for Bellator, he doesn't mention her by name, but he pretty much... Uh, yeah, that's very course, obvious. Yeah, over the course of it, he, he pretty much gets to the point to where he, he's kind of skittish, but then towards the end, he outright says, well, yeah, she betrayed me. She cheated on me for months. Yeah, so, which, I mean, to which, me, which that's... I which I don't know at that point... When you're that real about it, I don't know how much that has to do with anything. Just to I mean, put that out is, there, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, I mean, again, like I said, fundamentally, you can make what you want about... Because here's the other thing, too. While, while, you know, you can think whatever you want for someone, like, dating their students or dating protégés or whatever. Josh Barnett is is still, like, in my, my appraisal. I don't... I don't co-sign on Josh Barnett necessarily as a person, I think. Uh, honestly, I, and, and I've had great conversations with Josh. I think he's very bright, very intelligent. I also think he is a, uh, a bit of an insecure bully. There's a reason why 
Name someone else in this industry that's tested positive for steroids four fucking times. Four. Barnett still hasn't addressed his last positive test. His first positive test flew under the radar until we have great human beings like Josh Gross who do intrepid reporting and it comes out the fact that at USC 34, the Nevada Athletic Commission is doing what they call provisionary testing, where even though Barnett goes out and clobbers Bobby Hoffman and wins a UFC title shot as a, re- like, as a result of that, even though that happens, even though Barnett tests positive, because it's only provisionary testing, the idea was Nevada was testing to ascertain, well, do we need to test? Oh, surprise, yes, you do. And when they start testing at UFC 36, the, the next event back in Nevada, who tests positive in a UFC heavyweight title fight? Josh Barnett. Does he respond to it? No. He runs away to Japan and starts doing pro wrestling. And then goes to Pride and drastically changes his physique. He sinks affliction in a pre-licensing test, and now is tested positive again. Now, I'm not demonizing the dude because he's doing steroids. Don't think that. Because if you're a longtime listener, you know I'm the last, the last man on earth. I am Burgess Meredith in that episode of The Twilight Zone with time enough at last to read my book with my broken glasses. I'm the last man on earth who's going to act like steroids are bad. I think they should be legal. That said, Josh Barnett can't ever admit he even did steroids. You bring up – if I do a radio interview with Josh Barnett right now and I bring up steroids, he's going to hang up the phone. So whatever you may think about the dude, I don't think the, the dynamic is a bad one. But that's – dude, just on a personal level, that's a bad thing to do to someone, especially if you're going to describe them in such clear terms, you know? I know that Joe Rogan, like in the Joe Rogan experience, has a has a crossover audience that, you know, like like Ken, like you and I, we're gonna hear that. The description you just gave makes it abundantly clear he's talking about Colleen Schneider. Not not all of the JRE listeners are those people. There's a whole like there's a there's a crossover listeners of the JRE who get mad when he has MMA guests, which I think is hard for MMA fans to wrap their head around, but. I know enough of these people who love Joe Rogan. They're like, oh, God damn it. Another MMA guest. I hate this. Boo. So some people aren't going to be inclined to Google. But based on what you told me, if you even did rudimentary uh, search engineing, you're going to know exactly what human being he's talking about. And, and that sucks. You know, that's, you know, that, like, like to me, that's just not something that you take public especially if both of you are well-known public fighters and you're going to describe one in public. I think that sucks. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I, I like both of them as athletes, but it just, uh, and, and if, any, if any ounce of what he had to say from his position is true, I feel for him. I mean, who hasn't been burnt? But at the same time, just not the right venue. I mean, millions of people listen to that. Once it gets circulated, it's just not good for him. No, and yeah, like, like what? Who does that serve? You know, I know again. Nobody. I, I like I, I get I get that the JRE is again. It's supposed to be this. Even if even if Rogan targets particular people to have particular kinds of conversations, it's still supposed to be this informal, off the cuff. God damn, it's hosted by Joe Rogan. Like you know what you're getting into. You know the kind of conversation yeah. you're expected to have. So I appreciate candor, but. It's the wrong kind of like. Did, did, actually, you know what? That's it. That this is this is it. Ken. It's the wrong kind of candor. You know, like I said, 
Well, Josh Burnett is a, they, he's they, a great they, dude. He's been a great fighter. They flowed he's into been, it, and before it was too late, it became that's where they were. So Joe kind of went with it. It wasn't like he it was like he started it for the sake of doing it. It's just that that's where they ended up, and before you know it, it was just it was the it was the dumpster fire. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. You, like the direction of a conversation is fine. I'm not saying that Josh Brandt shouldn't discuss these personal things because, like I said, candor is an important part of specifically the podcast he was on with the Joe Rogan experience. But at the same time, it's about the details he offered, you know. And again, it's the wrong kind of candor because it's not like Josh Brandt ain't a good fighter. You're you are kidding yourself if you think Josh Brandt isn't one of the best eight heavyweights to ever live, and you're joking yourself. If you think he's not a great trainer, both for pro wrestling and MMA, he's a great pro wrestler as well. Josh Brennan is an incredibly talented athlete. He's also recalcitrant and childish when it comes to ever admitting any of his own faults. Like I said, how many how many interviews are there where, you know, hate on Tim Sylvia all you want. Think whatever you want about oh Tim Sylvia. Tim Sylvia still is one of the ballsiest men I've ever seen in MMA because Tim Sylvia had the ability to stand up and say, you know what? Yeah, I was on steroids. And you want to know why I did them? Because I felt like shit. It's my whole life. Everyone's told me I'm fat. I'm a loser. My drunk mom beat me up until I was a teenager. My manager who's got my back, and I know he loves me. Monty Cox still calls me polio legs. The people at my gym, world champions like Pat Miletic and Matt Hughes try to bully me to the point I want to kill myself. And then when I win a world heavyweight title, people tell me, you know what, Tim? You look like shit. You don't have any muscle definition. You have the hips of a pregnant woman and the body of a bag of milk. And that's why I did Winstraw. And I'm sorry, you can make fun of Tim Sylvia all you want. That takes more that takes more courage than running away and never admitting. And, and again, I don't fault Josh Burnett for doing steroids. But this is someone who for like in 15 years of testing positive for them, literally 15 years, refuses to admit he's ever done them. In spite of just like the most yeah. overwhelming evidence, and we'll we'll freak out and have a complete meltdown if it's mentioned in his presence. You know, there's no question who I would rather invite to a dinner party or have a conversation with Tim Sylvia or Josh Barnett. But there's also no like question to me who's at least more courageous and real about their own failings as a person. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for accountability. Plus, exactly. Like I, said, I mean. For whatever shortcomings that um, Colleen Schneider may or may not have, it's just uh, it was the wrong venue. You don't air you don't air someone out like that. And also, you know, I know relationships often end terribly. You know, things fall apart in brutal and devastating ways for people. But if you like, if, if this is someone you ever cared about, you don't air them out like yes. that. And like, I mean, dude, what you described to me, he literally. If he didn't say her by name, he did everything but, and that sucks, and yeah. that's unnecessary. You can tell that story. You can tell that story without anyone even knowing you're talking about an MMA fighter. 
No, it's it's um, it, it's worth checking out. I mean, it's not pleasant, but you know, if you do check it out, it, it's pretty much like you described. You did everything but mention her name. It's it's uh, it's unfortunate. Anything else in mind, Ken? Uh, can I plug my podcast? <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, go for it. All right, All right. Uh, MMA Dude Bro, MMA Dude dot com. Uh, if you go in the archives, uh, Jordan Green's a past guest. So there you go. I had no idea that you were the MMA dude bro, Ken. Yes, one and the same. Well, I mean, yeah, MMA dude bro at MMA pod and all that jam. MMA dude bro dot com. Ken, appreciate you so much for phoning in. Thank you so much. 844 Sure Dogs, the phone number 844-743-7364. Line two, it's Mason from California. Mason, what's up? Hey, what's up? Good afternoon, gents. Hey, I was just uh, wondering, since there was no real MMA, if you guys check out any of the uh, false athletic endeavors this weekend, either from uh, New Japan, Pro Wrestling, or WWE, or even last night's uh, rap battle between the uh, New Day. Hopefully you watched the unedited version. So I was... I didn't didn't see any SmackDown last night, although... uh, I am trying to buy SmackDown tickets for their return to uh, Toronto here. I did catch parts of Raw at uh, on Monday nights at my girlfriend's bar. She works with a dude who's very, very much into pro wrestling and often uh, puts uh, a little Monday Night Raw on the TV. So I caught a little there. The New Japan, however, though, uh, I I didn't I didn't watch every last second, but I, I did catch I, I think the important parts. Uh, Okay, uh, the uh, the Omega Ishi fight, uh, fight. I'm talking like Roddy Piper. <laughs> the Omega Ishi, <laughs> the Omega Ishi match, I thought was fantastic. Easily the best of it. Uh, I thought a lot of fans. I saw a lot of people praising the Okada Cody Rhodes match. I'm pretty, I'm pretty pro Cody Rhodes, and I like, I like the fact that when he was released, like the kind of branch and like path he's taken. But I thought he was incredibly sloppy, and Okada basically had to carry him. However, what's really important, we're on an MMA podcast here. You know, Mason, I got I to gotta, I gotta bring it back to the element. Well, bring it back to the element, but, uh, yeah, one of the, but, uh, you know, we almost no, no. Uh, lost a, uh, uh, E.K.C. No, Lady no, no. almost lost a camera at uh, no, no. New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'm pretty sure you saw that, you know, bringing Mason, it back. Mason, what I'm saying is, when I'm talking about bringing it back to the element, do you know why I get to do this job? Do you know why we get to have this conversation right now? You know, you know, you know who blazed this trail, set the match, said, yo, there's enough here. There's enough here with this sport to cover. It's the homie David Herbert Meltzer. That's right. And if you're listening to this and you don't make your buck from MMA, but you do make it from pro wrestling, you know why you get to do what you do? David Meltzer. Herbert Meltzer. And rest in peace. At 90 years old, to not the Big Dave, the Big Big Dave, the Herbert Meltzer, who passed away at a stroke at 90. Condolences and thoughts go out to Dave Meltzer, who I always like in my personal interactions, is always super sweet to me, has has had me do Wrestling Observer uh, Radio before, always super flattered, love him and Brian Alvarez, grew up reading this man, grew up paying money on my parents' telephone bill to call in to the local newspaper's wrestling hotline, which all it did was rip rumors from the Wrestling Observer newsletter. 
None of us get to do this. This man's at UFC 1. He's judging at UFC 12. UFC 12. Dave Meltzer's an official goddamn judge. And to use a Henzo Gracie analogy, whose balls did he come out of? Herbert Meltzer. That's right. So you can think, like, I know a lot of people in the pro wrestling industry are like, oh, the Young Bucks, dude, these spot monkeys, they just, like, kiss up to Dave Meltzer and do all this crazy shit. And, like, yeah, they get five stars and, like, they win tag team of the year, but, like, it's totally pandering. Dude, these are people that are paying it back. These are people that, like, their whole gimmick is that they're basically dorky white trash pro wrestling nerds that never wanted to do anything else in life but be pro wrestlers. If that's your motif, if that's your angle, why wouldn't Dave Meltzer be your ceremonial uncle? If you're younger than 35 years old and you're a pro wrestler, why wouldn't Dave Meltzer inform the person and the professional that you are? So I I remember, and I've said this on air before, I remember after they debuted the Meltzer driver, um, it was, it was not long. I, I want to say I brought it up to Dave, uh, the, 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 the run of McGregor Aldo cards, those, those three days, Dave came in for the second one. Maybe it was before that, but I remember being in a UFC media room and being like, what do you think about your little nephew's naming a new move after you? And he just kind of like smiled and blushed in the way that like only a big Dave could and was like, no, no, I think it's, I think it's great. They're great. They're great. But to see these dudes go another level, knowing that Dave Meltzer's father had passed away. Dude, you may know Dave Meltzer. I don't know what Herbert Meltzer looks like. I don't know the first thing about Herbert Meltzer other than he raised the guy that, that blazed the path. A path I get to live in comfortably. I'm laying in my backyard right now. The sun's on me. I can take my shirt off again if I want and show off my Alex Jones body. I can do that. Only reason, Dave Meltzer. And the only reason Dave Meltzer's here, Herbert Meltzer. So to watch that G1 card and see the young bucks do the Meltzer driver and do it in a way that was is horrifying. To do a running, like to do a counter tombstone pile driver tandem running springboard flipping like suicide dive spike pile driver is insane. And to see whichever one it is that does the spinning one, Matt or Nick Jackson, whichever one, look into the camera to sweet it up. That's for you, Herbert Meltzer. Yeah, of course I saw this. Of course I watched some G1. Why wouldn't I watch an insane physical testament to the man who birthed the man who gave me the gave me the chance to do this? You know, er- Errol Hawani may be the big dog in the game. Errol Hawani gets to do none of this shit without Dave Meltzer. You may prefer Luke Thomas. Luke Thomas gets to do none of this shit without Dave Meltzer. None of us get to do any of this without Dave Meltzer. Rest in peace to Herbert. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for uh, bringing it back, man. Uh, yeah. That's how I wanted to bring it back. When I said I was going to bring it back, I didn't mean no. Let's not talk pro wrestling. 
I want to talk about what happened on the card that informs why we get to talk about pro wrestling. Or inform why we should talk about MMA, I should say. Excuse me. Is that it? Anything? anything oh, there we go. Anything that's else, it, Mason? That's it, man. I had a lot for work. Thank you very much, Jordan. Thank you, yeah. Appreciate the call, Mason. Yeah, man. Never never trip yourself up on the kiss and custom relationship between pro wrestling and mixed martial arts. You know? Speak, speaking of which, I actually uh, hung out with Todd yesterday. Perfect timing, then. Did, yeah. you, did, did you talk about the Herbert Meltzer driver at all? Uh, no, I told him how when I met Dave Meltzer at 184, you know, this is be- definitely before I, I don't think I hadn't even started, you know, my independent podcast at the time. So I was just, just a fan, uh, and, and how I actually got a little starstruck <laughs> meeting Meltzer and, and just the, when I asked to take a picture with him, the initial shock on his face, like he was looking at me like, why the hell you want to take a picture with me? He he looked so surprised. And, and if you, I'll, I'll send, I'll, um, I'll tweet out the picture but he looked, they just genuinely looked like, okay, what does this guy want? It reminded me of McGregor taking a picture with Liddell. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a, a total look of confusion on his face. So, yeah. Dude, uh, Meltzer, I mean, you know, last week, obviously, while I talked about what an absolute callous and anti-humane ghoul, not even just inhumane, anti-humane ghoul Manny Pacquiao is, obviously it was informed by the, the sudden – uh, accidental overdose of a, of a friend of mine. But if we're going to give memorials two weeks in a row, dude, like how can we not talk about this, dude? Like Meltzer is Meltzer's also too. It's not just that like Meltzer was there at UFC one or anything like that. Like if you were an observer reader, Meltzer's how you stayed in touch with this shit, you know? And also Meltzer, uh, this may seem like this may like seem hard to get across like in this like like era because people people are smarter now like e- even if you think the MMA media is abjectly dumb even if you think everyone's a like a complete goddamn idiot there's still a general consensus about what's shit and what's sugar people know what's up. Meltzer was like the first dude to also be able to identify like. It's amazing if you read some old Wrestling Observer newsletters. Meltzer's ability to like see a UFC card and break down like this is this guy's potential star appeal. Like it almost makes it feel like pro wrestling reading in hindsight. But go back and read Wrestling Observers during the SEG era. Meltzer's eye for talent and identifying what's really at play here. His breakdown of Randy Couture clearly being this stud, but Vitor Belfort being this potential superstar. His ability to see Frank Shamrock transitioning from Pancras and know because of Pancras's connection to pro wrestling, see that Frank Shamrock was uniquely prepared to just dust on these boys in the UFC. Like... It's not even just that Meltzer was, like, the first guy there and planted the flag. Like, it's not – like, dude, anyone can be the first. Sometimes the first is great. Sometimes the first ain't shit. No offense. Think about some of the first UFC champions and think, You think Dave Manet is an all-time great middleweight? No. No, who's who's great? Not Dave Manet. Dave Meltzer. 
this man has been holding it down forever. And I have no idea how he was raised, what Herbert Meltzer was like. But damn it, if it's good enough for the Young Bucks, or at least one of them, to risk their life with a death-defying stunt to up an already insane finishing maneuver in honor of this man's departed father. And frankly, if you gave us a son good enough, a man who R.I.P. Frank to Ford, a man who my dad would probably call the greatest sports journalist ever, maybe your dad, our dads might call Frank to Ford the greatest sports journalist ever. You know who Frank DeFord thought was the best sports journalist alive? In 1990? Dave Meltzer. Know how he went further? Know who he said was not just the greatest living sports journalist, but the greatest journalist living? Dave Meltzer. We all owe Herbert. R.I.P. Herbert Meltzer. 844-743-7364 844-743-7364 if you want to sneak a call in another wire. 844-SURE-DOG is the number. 844-743-7364. Email me, jbreen at suredog.com or get at me on Twitter, at Jordan Breen. More time to pay the bills. We'll be back on the other side, right back here on the JBS on the SRN. Stay close. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Sign up with BetOnline.ag today and score a 50% bonus to use on this week's loaded betting board. Simply use promo code SHERDOG and up to $2,500 worth of sportsbook bonuses will be added to your bankroll instantly. In addition to the biggest bonus around, BetOnline posts the most odds on every major sport. You will never miss an opportunity to get in on the action at BetOnline. Once again, that's promo code SHERDOG to score a 50% bonus. Sign up at betonline.ag today because you can. Sure Dog Radio Network. 844 Sure Dog's the phone number. It's 844-743-7364. 844-Sure Dog. 844-743-7364. Get me on Twitter at Jordan Breen, J-O-R-D-A-N. And you can always email me, jbreen at suredog.com. And we actually didn't get a chance to like specifically talk right off the top because TJ was there and then we just we just got into things. Did you uh rock horn pack you out this weekend? And if so, how'd you score it? Uh, yeah, I, I saw it. I thought that Horn won 114-113. I mean, really, the, the fight looks a lot different without the commentary. I can definitely say that that swayed a lot of the people that were going off on Twitter. You know, and, and I know you, you scored it for Pacquiao. A lot of people I know scored it for him as well. And it wasn't that that wasn't like egregious. It, it was a very close fight, I thought. I, I thought Horn, um, Horn definitely exceeded expectations. So kudos to him on that one. I mean, at the same time, I understand, and I and I say this with with all the conviction of someone that demonized Manny Pacquiao over the max because he's an absolute monster of a human being, and, a, and frankly, to make no bones about it, a piece of shit as a dude. That said, what I think really hurts people about this, and this is the saddest part, because yeah, some people have came out after the fight, been like, "Ha, huh, yeah, that's what happens when you want to kill all gay, trans, and uh, people who are addicted to drugs." But most people's sadness in this is 
the idea, not of corruption or anything like that. It's not like Lennox Lewis, Holyfield one or anything. It's the idea of, wow, like many so past it. And it's just a reminder of how different the standard is for being past it. You know, I don't mean to sound like crass or morbid about this, but Tim Hagg's a multiple time UFC veteran. If you kept up with his MMA and boxing career over the last few years, you'd have known that this man was hurting and in trouble. And he just died as a direct result of a boxing match that he shouldn't have been in. Literally shouldn't have been in. He should not have been licensed in the jurisdiction he was licensed in, but was. And he died as a result of his injuries. Not the first person cared about how his career was proceeding until he was dead. Or, until, excuse me, until he was at least in a, in a fucking coma because of what happened in a boxing match. When it comes to great fighters, it's, like, it's not like Manny Pacquiao shot. There are literally tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of people who put on boxing gloves and professionally, I'm using air quotes, professionally fight for a living. People who fight for a purse. There are literally tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people that could put on gloves in any number of weight classes Manny Pacquiao can easily make, and he would absolutely dust them. The problem is, like, that's not the image people have of Manny Pacquiao, you know? The image of people having Manny Pacquiao, going back to what I talked about last week, it, even if you don't remember when he debuted on short notice against Laholo Edwaba and completely ruined that dude's life and sabotaged his career with his terrible $5 haircut and bottle box dye job. Bare minimum, you remember from the Brera fight. I'm sorry. If you're, if you're watching boxing in 2003, you felt some type of way. Ant, did you did you happen to watch Ferrer Morales one live? Yes, I did. I, I did watch that. I mean, that was tell me, tell yeah. me how you felt. Tell me how you felt. It, it felt like something big was about to happen. Like with 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 Pacquiao, you know, every so often you see a fighter demolish somebody that you know was good, and and it's just looking like wow, this this is legit. Like this is the real shit that's going on right now. Um, I mean, dude, I'm yeah. sorry. Like, like I, I, if you like fights. There's always fights where, you know, you, you have that gut feel. You sense something could pop off. And I think it's, you know, a, a, a perfect dovetailing with this weekend because, you know, I have no idea. Actually, I have no idea who will be on the round table with me other uh, than Jack's, Jack's sweet, sultry voice. I'll be there. Are you actually on it? Yeah, yeah, I'm on the round table this time. Oh, shit. So, okay. So, I mean, we still got one mystery man. Who knows? Maybe it's a Connor Rebush. Maybe uh, it's a Patrick Wyman. Maybe it's a Todd Martin. Maybe we keep it all in the family. That'd be nice. That'd actually be perfect. Who the hell knows? I don't know. But one of the things that certainly I want to talk about is that th this is very much a card that's made up of uh, 213, I mean. Even, even the main event of the tw the the top 25 finale because I think Gaethje Johnson goes the same way for me. There's a lot of fights where it's it's your brain versus your gut. Not your heart. Fuck your heart. Your heart's bullshit. No no play in the fight game. Not unless you're actually fighting. These are fights that are that are really hinged on what have you seen technically that leads you to a certain kind of conclusion versus what abstract hard to describe intrinsic qualities do you see in a fighter that leads you to believe that they could triumph over something that on paper in terms of X's and O's seems greater than them. 
And I think there's multiple fights like that that play out this particular weekend. Uh, for me, even being uh, 16 years old, like for me, this was one of those fights. Like in my in my head, every, like Marco Antonio Barrera. Do you know what the first? I, I this is rhetorical too, Ant, because I know there's. If you could possibly guess this, I'll. I don't know. I was gonna say like something sexually explicit. It'd be like weird and out of bounds. <laughs> but like, I'd be I'd be severely shocked if you possibly guess this. What do you think that the first boxing match I ever saw live was? I'll tell you right now. I was born. I was born in 1987, and I would have been, oh, geez, what year is that? I would have been, like, seven years old, probably, six or seven. Hmm. All right, so we're thinking 94. Like, 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 yeah. Mm. Uh, also, I'm, I hope, I'm actually, you know what? I could be a little older. I could be a little older. I may be eight or nine, because I feel like the fight happens in 96. I think it's a 96 fight. Okay, if it's a 96. Let me, let me look this up, actually. 1996. I'll tell you uh, straight up. The fight happens. I, I would have been I would have been eight years old, getting ready to turn nine in a few months. It happens on February 6th, 1996. Oh, um, and, and also it's hmm. it's it's a bit of historic. It's a bit of historic shit. If you're a deep boxing nerd, it is the main event of the first ever Boxing After Dark card on HBO. All right, you know, just because you said '96, my first thought was uh, was Tyson Bruno, only because I know that's that's the night the Tupac no, got not shot. Not boxing after, not boxing <laughs> after dark. Also, keep in mind, it's got a connection. It's got a connection to this Manny Pacquiao fight we're talking about. Hmm. Yeah, I'm at a loss, man. The moment, the moment I always think of, and I think of it so crystalline to this day, at the very end, as the winner is having his face hugged. But the same goddamn man is going to throw the towel in years later against Manny Pacquiao. Larry Merchant, this is a fitting end to a great, great prize fight. Marco Antonio Barrera, Kenny McKinney. Want to play the game with me? <laughs> TJ. I'm pretty sure the first boxing match you ever watched in your entire life was Floyd Mayweather and Oscar De La Hoya. Is that correct? <laughs> Incorrect. Really? Mm -hmm. Probably something uh, later than watch, that. Did you ever watch? Who is that? Who is that boxer that showed up in the AWA? Scott Ledoux. Did you ever see Scott Ledoux fight growing up? I didn't, but he was the executive director of the boxing match I was at. Uh, <laughs> uh, a run of Minnesota boxers. Uh, um. There's one or two others, but no. What, what was your first boxing match you ever saw live? And when I say live, I want to say I wasn't at Marco Antonio Burr, Kenny McKinney live. I, it's the first one I watched live as it happened. TJ, what's your experience? Some dude named Matt Vanda. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, in, in fairness, not that Matt Vanda was like a great fighter, but in terms of Minnesota lore, he's a great fighter. Matt Vanda also... Um, Matt Vanda was a guy, not even just because he was, uh, his nickname was the Predator, but he looked like a dude that should have been an MMA fighter. Oh yeah, no. I think if that dude, if that dude, if that dude came of age like, I don't know, five to seven years later, that dude would not have been a boxer at all. No, um, the first ever boxing match I ever saw. You should know Fuck. this, Brain. Come on, think about it hard. First Live? boxing match I ever saw. No, no, no. First boxing match I ever saw. I was like, oh, this is boxing. Uh, uh, how can 
I possibly guess at? That's any number of things. All right. Uh, um, some some Muhammad Ali fight. Like if you're nah, saying, what's the first nah. boxing match I ever I ever saw a clip of in my life? Tyson Holyfield. The Solar System knows. Roddy Piper, Mr. T, WrestleMania two, Madison oh. Square Garden. Come on. Ooh. <laughs> oh yeah, I missed the part where when you swing the stool at the guy's head, that's a legal blow. I missed that part. Re- also, regulated by the New York State Athletic Commission. Thank you very much. Oh, that, Although, that fine commission that we discussed on Beatdown a couple weeks back. <laughs> remember, me- remember when Belter was so psyched up to use the same scale as Ali Frazier? Just like, oh, this is awesome. No, but seriously, and taking it back <laughs> to what we were talking about, that, that fight is... You, you get incarnations of this both with mixed martial arts and boxing, but... In terms of a fight where everything you've seen with your eyes, everything recorded in your brain, everything you know to be certain information versus a level of skepticism, and these things come to a head. This is the definitive one, because this is a fight, and I talk about these fights a lot, and again, MMA and boxing. Sometimes Aunt TJ, you know, like you, you have this you have this duality about a fight. You feel split on it. Like it is what I'm saying. Like you have this gut feeling that these certain particulars could line up and concretize in a way that allows this person to win in a mixed martial arts or boxing match. But you're picking this favorite or you're picking this person that you have more data, more knowledge, more affinity for more uh, uh, flavor for because they fight a certain way or you you have more data on them or whatever the case might be. And the minute it starts, within 30, 60, 90, 120 seconds, the fight's far from over, but you just know, shit, this is done. I blew it. That's how I felt with Manny Pacquiao and Marco Antonio Barrera won. When that fight started, I felt like, I don't know, I got uh, this Pacquiao, like he could have this moment. But Barrera, outside of Junior Jones, who messes with Marco Antonio Barrera. Yeah, maybe Morales won the first fight deservedly, or should have won the first fight deservedly. But, uh, you know, this is Marco Antonio Barrera. How is Manny Pacquiao, this one-handed, left-handed bomber, with no jab, this subpar movement, how's he going to do it? And within seconds, it was just like, oh, shit, I actually don't know anything about boxing. I'm actually a complete moron that's mistaked the terms of engagement. I've talked about this in the past. And, you know, I I wouldn't call, like, Barrera Pacquiao in a boxing or MMA realm, like, the worst call I've ever made. But reckoning back to something that I think is, I've talked time and time again with uh, mixed martial arts. What's the worst call you've ever made in terms of over-analysis? You know, times where you, you basically have so much information, you're so deep and down in it that you can't see the forest from the trees, or maybe the trees from the forest in this case. Um, for me, I always come back to Crow Cop and Vanderlei Silva 2. Because you saw them compete in the first fight, but it's bullshit rules. Crow Cop couldn't even fight mixed martial arts at this point in time. They have a rematch. 
And in my head, as someone who's starting to cover MMA, who's hardcore MMA fan, I'm like, all right, well, Krokop has a broken nose. He wants to get surgery. He wants to get it fixed. He's trying to take a... He just took a vacation in Pula, Croatia with his family. And yet, I think Vanderlei Silva is going to come in and knock his head off. The minute the fight started, I knew this was done. So if you need something to get on Fight Pass for your spank bang, make it Merkel Krokop. Make it Vanderlei Silva too. Go back to Pride Final Conflict 2005. See what that looks like. For me, that's always the fight that I misdiagnosed the hardest. Classic paralysis by analysis. If you ever want to go back and put yourself in that feeling of your head versus your gut, that idea that two parts of your two parts of your body, you're not dumb. You've seen MMA. You're not dumb. Maybe you just know too much. Your heart versus your gut, for me, nothing will ever top thinking Vanderlei Silva would beat Mirko Krokop in the rematch at Final Conflict 2006. So go back to that. Go watch the end of the Pride Open Weight Absolute Tournament. And go watch Krokop. Before he beats up Josh Barnett, we talked about liberally today, watch the semifinals of him hammering Vanderlei Silva outside of Igor Vavchanchin, the best left head kick of Mirko Krokop's career, K1 or MMA. September 2006, go and do the damn thing. Something that ties a bunch of threads from today together. Time for me to get out of here. Ant Walker, you got any programming notes for your boy? Uh, let's see. So we're going to do a beatdown Friday. Uh, should be me, TJ, and Fridley on that one. Uh, of course, the roundtable will be coming up for 213 and the tough finale. Uh, so yours truly. And uh, and and the man Jay Breen going to be attached to that one with Jack Incarnacio. We still don't know who the mystery guest is, but that should be a, a fun reveal when we guard. That, that's appropriate, though. You know, yeah. Jack's Jack's a pro wrestling man. You want you want at least one mystery reveal for like the pay per view caliber event. I mean, well, no, like you know, not to, not to pull the curtain back, but like roundtables, roundtables, and beat down for the bell do the best numbers for anything we do on the SRN. You know, basically a roundtable qualifies as a pay per view. If there's any time we're going to have a masked man. A, a surprise guest, maybe a masked lady. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, rum- it's gonna be it's gonna be around. R- rumor has it Justin McCulley's gonna gonna uh, unmask <laughs> himself on on the show, so that should be good. We'll do video for that one. <laughs> beekeepers, beekeepers dome. Yeah, maybe maybe we can have all the fans shouting "Screw you, Tito!" Uh, just just to play it up even more. But should be a good time. Uh, yeah, other than that's all the programming notes I got for you. Is, is that what they were chanting? Screw you, Tito? I must have misheard. Well, you know, TJ's sitting right here, and I don't want to get hit with that $5 fine, so. Oh, oh, oh word. Oh, word. <laughs> I shouldn't. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't have said the actually publishing title of that terrible Joseph Conrad novel earlier. <laughs> anyway, programming notes. Yeah. Those are programming notes. All right. It's time for me to get up here. As always, love letters, mail bumps, credit card numbers, jbreenatshirt.com. Or get me on Twitter, at Jordan Breen, J-O-R-D-A-N-B-R-E-E-N. Listen to me on the roundtable, a double-wide edition. Your boy, Ant Walker, normally behind the ones and twos. Gonna step out and grab the microphone. Ant, you feeling like Diamond D, the best producer on the mic? Well, I'm, I'm feeling nice, man. Feeling, feeling like Diamond D, feeling like uh, Primo when he made his little cameo on the Prime album. Just that little couple couple bars that he spit. So I'm feeling good today. Maybe, maybe Dr. Dre, you know? We'll see. How the, how the hell could y'all possibly resist? Listen to the round table. Listen to Beat Down After the Bell. And following all that, even if you fall into a coma, I got you covered next Wednesday right back here with the JBS on the SRN. Peace.
preceding show is a TJ DeSantis production and is property of the Sure Dog Radio Network. Its content is intended for private use only.